Hello and welcome to JLGB Virtual We Are Live. As part of JLGB's recent adjustments to the coronavirus lockdown, we have been helping parents and young people stay entertained and active all online. In order to adapt our delivery to the government restrictions, on the 23rd of March, we launched JLGB Virtual, which runs every Monday to Thursday evening. This is our way of ensuring that we can continue to delight, inform and entertain young people so that they can have some fun, learn new skills and make a difference. Sessions include skills like magic, upcycling and coding. Physical activities and the focus of this podcast series, interviews with expert speakers from a range of backgrounds, including famous actors, social entrepreneurs, government ministers and many more. These interviews are run by young people like myself. So if you have any questions or want to get involved, please reach out to us on any social media platform. Just look for Judge BHQ and message us. We have so many exciting guests for you to listen to and we hope you'll join us live very soon. For now though, join us through our catalogue of guests. Today's guest is JLGB's very own Chief Executive, Neil Martin OBE, as he talks about himself and the future of the organisation. Sit back, relax and I hope you enjoy. Neil Martin OBE is a community leader, chair of the Interfaith Youth Trust and Yom HaShoah UK but is best known to us as the Chief Executive of JLGB. Born and raised in Gantz Hill, Neil grew up in the Essex Jewish community, attending Ilford Jewish Primary School. It was at the age of 14 that Neil first joined JLGB as a member of Redbridge Band. After working in teaching and young people skills in JLGB, it made sense that after graduating with his Masters in Digital Practices for the Arts and Media, Neil stayed on to lecture and share his knowledge for another three years, volunteering with Redbridge all the while, and becoming their conductor and musical director, a role that he continues to fulfil on a weekly basis. In April 2005, Neil became Chief Executive of JLGB and hasn't looked back since. Neil has transformed the UK's longest serving Jewish youth organisation, JLGB, into a double national award winning thriving, innovative, and much-respected youth charity, not just in the Jewish community, but across wider society as well. Neil strongly believes that every child really does matter, and it has become a leading expert in creating faith and culturally sensitive programmes that remove barriers to universal youth programmes. Neil was named the three the 40 under 40 in May 2015 by the Jewish News. And of course, in June 2016, Neil was also awarded his OBE for services to young people and interfaith relations in the Queen's 90th birthday honours list in a week where he famously met Prince Charles three times in one week. Though he hates to blow his own trumpet, after much persuasion, it is my absolute pleasure and honour to introduce the man responsible for the success of the organisation we love for 15 years. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our honoured guest, Neil Martin OBA. Good evening, Neil. How are you? Oh, you're on mute. Somebody unmute Neil, please. Thank you. Uh, we've got so many safeguarding 
things in our Zoom that I, even the CEO can't unmute himself. That's all part of it. After 75 shows, we know what we're doing. But uh, hi, Sydney. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm okay. <laughs> so um, how's lockdown been treating you and how are you keeping positive? Um, well, it's, it's, been, it's been a while now. I think that uh, I've said this to many people, but I, I was practicing for lockdown since about 1996. This is, this is uh, the perfect set of circumstances for me. Running an organization from my bed in my pajamas is, is, is the dream. Um, but of course, this is in the backdrop of so much chaos and uh, anxiety for many people um, that it's not been an easy time for many. So it's, uh, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, um, JLGB has been the, the focus for me to make sure that we, we stay positive and support everyone in a time that is really uncertain for people. Mm, definitely. Um, we are really pleased to have you on JLGB Virtual tonight as we celebrate 125 years of JLGB. As you know, of course, together with you and the professional and volunteer teams, we've been boosting positivity and keeping children and their families active, healthy and entertained for 21 solid weeks now since lockdown began, with the help of a special guest each evening. So other than Lord Levy asking you, what made you say yes to joining us this evening? Well, highly, highly reluctantly uh, in many ways, because like many of the charity CEOs that have been on this show, you, you, you lead an organization, you're not always out the front selling oneself in that sense. So it's not something I do lightly. But after 75 shows and after the phenomenal work that everybody has done, it's a great opportunity to reflect back on that, talk about the future, hopefully, but also to thank everybody and, and, and you know, the the volunteers, the professional staff, the young hosts, etc. It's all been phenomenal. And so I want to just, it's an opportunity to, to talk to, there's so many people in the Zoom I'm very grateful for, and to wider Facebook and, and around the world that are watching uh, about how we did it and uh, why, we're, why we are who we are. And yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and being able to speak to us all about that. So I'm going to jump back to the very beginning now. Tell us about your childhood and the youth opportunities you had. You went to Ilford Jewish Primary School and according to your mother, you were the quietest child in the classroom. You then joined JLGB at 14 as a young shy boy. So what impact did it have on you? What did JLGB really give you as a child? I, I, I was and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure she's watching. She's watched every other show and she's watched every single thing I've done in my entire life and, and been to every JLGB the event since May the 1st, 1992 when I joined JLGB. So why would tonight have been any different? But I was painfully shy and um, quiet uh, and a daydreamer as are those teachers that are watching. Um, and I can see one of them in here from, from Wally for Jewish. I, I, didn't, I didn't talk to anybody and I, was, I daydreamed uh, all day and was, was, was really in another world and uh, getting on with everything else and um, didn't really interact in a, in a whole variety of ways. Uh, there's, there's reasons for that that are not that complicated. But um, JLGB was the first opportunity to, um, to really kind of come out of my shell, to learn new skills, etc. I'm hugely grateful to JLGB. I, it, it's, uh, it's partly why I do what I do now, but I, I un, I've always understood implicitly what JLGB does because it did for me exactly what it's designed and what a national organization is designed to do. It found me at a pathway as, as good as, uh, as Ilford Jewish Primary School was. My secondary school 
Basia, my grammar school, for those watching, I could write another book on. Um, and this came at a right time for me to find my feet, find my voice. Um, got given a trumpet, which is the loudest instrument in the band, and I had no excuse with the help of Linda Diamond and many others um, in Debs and, and, and JLGB helped me find who I am in that sense. And through going through JLGB and a sense of belonging, sense of family, sense of opportunity, it gave me the thing that I was that I was missing. And I've always called JLGB the dress rehearsal for real life. It gave me the space and the place to find out who I was um, and to turn what I wanted to be into uh, into reality. And uh, many years later, I find myself doing that for thousands of others. I mean, JLGB, it really does just provide everybody with the opportunities to be themselves. And again, one of the many reasons why I love JLGB so much. So anyone that knows you or has been in your office will know that you love the Muppets and Transformers. Rumour has it that you wanted to be a puppeteer and that you live your life by the Kermit the Frog quote, I've got a dream too, but it's about singing and dancing and making people happy. That's the type of dream that gets better the more people you share it with. How has the Muppets creator Jim Henson and quotes like this influenced you? Did you ever anticipate that one day you'd be a char the charity CEO? Well, um, for the, the last bit first, it was not the plan at all. And I'll come back to how I got involved in being CEO, I guess, towards the end of this, this question. But uh, I said before, I was a, a daydreamer. I had an imagination. I would doodle. I would sit. I would think I could see a world. What, one of the things that frustrates my staff greatly is I'm a visual thinker. I can see an end result three-dimensionally, full color, full sound, and um, view in my mind something, be it you know, an event with Craig David, JLGB Virtual, et cetera, I can see and visualize. And that comes from years of dreaming and imagining a variety of things. And as a, as a child, I was slightly obsessed with, I don't know why, um, The Muppet Show. The Muppet Show taught me many things, gave me a sense of comedy timing, allegedly, gave me a set of eclectic sense of music from all the guests that were on it, but also, for some reason, in, uh, interest in puppetry before me. And I think because I have uh, uh, essentially the face of data from Star Trek with no emotion, I it gave me the ability to perform with a puppet here, um, which the late Dame Simone used to find hilarious, um, and find an expression where I could not be me. And, and, and that shy uh, kid going up, it was kind of a, a great outlet in that sense. But the morals and the, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of going to Jewish schools in my life. I'm very, very, very into and, and, and love ethics and all kinds of things. But the particular morals and values of the Muppets about a whole ragtag of people working together to get this show going and a sense of making millions of people happy. Nothing makes me feel greater in all the rewards and things I've had than to see other people smile and enjoy stuff. I love creating that wow factor and the events that we do, etc., and getting people more because I get my boost in the same way that, uh, you know, the in Monsters Inc. they get from the kids screaming the energy. My energy comes from other people smiling and being happy. It really is the one thing that drives me in that sense. If I can make somebody laugh, that really boosts me. And if you can make millions of people laugh, etc., or millions of people proud or what emote in some way, um, that that's uh, really important to me. And I think in that sense, Kermit the Frog was always kind of like this quiet guy that shouldn't have been a leader, and found himself forced to the front. And, and, and try to, try to you know, move an organisation forward, which may or may not, depending on who you are, have some parallels to the work I do today, I couldn't possibly say. And in terms of leadership, in 1986, I went to the cinema to see Transformers the movie, the cartoon version, and 
there was this leader Optimus Prime that was just the hero, etc. And on screen, I went with my brother, I remember like it was yesterday, a car, he died. A cartoon character in 1980s that you'd watched every week as, a, as, a, as an afternoon cartoon suddenly died. And it had this profound effect on me um, because, and it, because and as it did millions of kids around the world, because it was unexpected and there were lots of complaints about it, etc. But this particular hero kind of summed up leadership to me. And so when often I go to conferences and things, and I have to, have to go to a few of these things over the years, and they talk about role, role models and leaders in that sense, and I have many JLGB and, and Jewish community um, mentors and leaders, but rather than talking about, you know, this prime minister or that person here, the ethics and the morality of, of, of Jim Henson and the leadership of lighting our darkest hour and going forward of Optimus Prime are the two things that drive me and are the two things potentially that means I want to put on a show with JLGB Virtual in a moment of need where we kind of make people happy in, in, our, in our darkest moments. So it, it kind of, it's what drives me. There's nothing behind me other than making people happy and making people move forward to a more glorious day. That's, it's, it's, it's no more black and white than that. You truly do make everybody happy. I mean, Virtual's been amazing in boosting so much positivity like that. So as we celebrate JLGB's 125th anniversary this year, how do you think that your time and experience at university studying and lecturing in digital practices has informed the way that you've transformed JLGB over the past 15 years? So there's not many people sometimes that, that uh, they often say, I did a degree in X, but now I do Y, and that the two are not connected. You wouldn't have thought that what I do or what I learned to study and thought about and, and did at university has a connection to what I do. But I live by the principles and morals of my studies literally every day. 15, 15, literally 15 years ago, 16 years ago now in terms of preparing for it, uh, my predecessor, uh, Richard Weber, who was the JLGB uh, chief executive then, had planned to retire. I was lecturing at university, as you say. I was, I was building... Um, children's edutainment game. So again, the connection of the Muppets to actually using education to help young people study in the same way Sesame Street helped the kids in the 80s with television, helping how could computers and mobile technology help and building mobile apps. I am, of course, an idiot because if I'd have built mobile apps the last 15 years, I'd be uh, funding JLGB, not running JLGB. But um, ultimately, my passion for this and, and doing this job comes from other, other reasons of wanting to help others in that in that sense. But 15 years ago, Richard Weaver, who was an amazing man who doesn't get the credit he deserves, and my pre-predecessor, Charles Kay, prior to him, uh, Richard wanted to retire. And I was approached to say that your name had been put forward. Uh, you know, and by the way, it's a job. It's not a volunteer position. It's, it's a, but you know, had, you, had you thought about it in that sense? I was very active in JLGB as a volunteer. I ran numerous camps and things with Edna and numerous people in the, in the, in the, in the JLGB then. And, and Norman, who's our chairman, and John Fox and Jill Atfield um, interviewed me and, and, and said if I wanted to be involved. And I didn't know if I wanted to do it, by the way. I was, it wasn't the plan. That's the most important thing. I had no, if I look back now and say this was where I was going to be, no plan to do that whatsoever. But I understood, as I, as I said before, I understood what JLGB could do. I implicitly understood that here is a young person on a journey 
potentially they failed to launch in this way. Maybe they're too quiet, maybe they're too loud, maybe they lack this, maybe they want to learn more. Everyone's got their own graphic equalizer of who they want to be. And JLGB finds that pathway and enhances the levels where maybe they're underperforming or have more potential to reach in that sense. So I understood that implicitly, but it was clouded by a nostalgia and a view within our community that meant after 110 years then, it was on its knees. I say, I say that um, unashamedly, that JLGB 15 years ago may not have existed a few years after that if it hadn't changed direction then. It's, you know, the, from a funding perspective, uh, we, had, we didn't have Lord Levy then, which, which I'll um, bring on to his story in a second, I'm sure. Um, but it didn't have a sense of direction. It had gone through its 100th anniversary and that kind of stuff and not knowing who it was. It had its identity crisis like many other youth movements have had about who we're going to be. And many people, many of the guests we had on here, I remember Henry Grimold and others, who's a very good family friend, saying, are you sure you want to do this, etc." He would, he would, he's very proud of what we've become in that sense and would say that uh, I made the right decision. But uh, him as being, I think, president of the Board of Deputies at the time, was, this was an organization that had been forgotten. It wasn't in the case of being Cinderella, getting on with it, as we have done for many years in that sense. It had, maybe it had its day. But at the same time, I was studying new media, how technology could help people, how the world was going to become about mobile phones how the and, and interactivity, how we were going to connect in ways we didn't do before, how we could use technology to record recognition and do a whole variety of things, how the whole the needs of young people were very different today in terms of the skills they need to thrive in a modern world of learn, learning how to, and this again, it's 15 years ago, but so it may feel quite modern now for some people, but this is, this is why it was important then. Then the need to thrive with the languages they may learn, the coding they may learn, the, the values they need for today, the community cohesion. Um, there was a new world out there that I felt needed an organization to help support it. But also an organization steeped in, in, in a proud history. Let's, let's not confuse nostalgia with history, two very, very different things. Communities, when people landed off the boat from Liverpool and Cardiff and got to London and the East End for a hundred and something years, had supported our community and was loved under the surface. If we could slam together the old world and the support and love of a structured organization with the new world of what young people actually needed and could bring the two together, we could have, we stood a chance of creating an organization that would be relevant for today and for today's young people. Um, and it's a bit like rewiring our old house. You couldn't do that without the solid organization we had that had such a great history behind it and such a great infrastructure behind it and hundreds and hundreds of committed volunteers who love the organization and generations of people who met and married through it, that there's a love for JOGB out there like no other organization, but we weren't harnessing it. And the next generation didn't want to join something their parents were in. They wanted to join something that was relevant to them, et cetera. And over 15 years, slowly but surely, in some cases painfully along the way, um, but for change and, and, and with, with the support of our trustees and our professional staff and our president and numerous community people, we have made an organization that is right and fit for purpose for today's young people and beyond. And that's, that comes from, in my mind, the ability to understand the outcomes of what you need to do and how technology and things can help you achieve that in a way that wasn't possible previously. You have created an amazing amazing organization but i'm going to stop speaking for a little bit now and we're going to go to a couple of audience questions so our first question is from abby markovich hi abby and debbie hello hello 
So I know that music has been a massive part of your life ever since my mum, who's here with me, um, taught you at JLGB Redbridge Fans. You've played the last post at Remembrance events all around the country and even on European battlefields with Ajax. So my question is, why is music so important to you and how have these experiences impacted you? Thank you, Abby. And uh, music has been really important to me um, in terms of everything I've spoken about already. But in on on May the on May the thirtieth, nineteen ninety two, it was a Monday, I think. Someone or Jason will tell me it was a Thursday because it was bank holiday that week. But uh, it was the first Jerry Bear I went to, um, and I remember that date for a reason that will become obvious um, in a second. But a friend at school. Um, went to this organization and said you'd like to come along etc and I, you know um, I can't remember why I decided to go yes but a few of us went etc and I arrived at what was then Beale High School where Brass Band, Redbridge Band as it is now was there and Linda Diamond who is uh, still running it now and one of my greatest mentors um, over so many years and gets huge, hugely undeserved credit for what she's done for hundreds and hundreds of kids in the Redbridge Jewish community um, over many years and has, and has got three children um, carrying on that uh, um, to this day as well as she still does um i went to this thing and there was this amazing band playing and i got given um a trumpet i actually wanted to play the saxophone um because uh zoot in the muppets played the saxophone and that was my idea but they, but uh, i was told by uh debbie i think that uh, we didn't have um any uh, any saxophone i know that's a lie because i say that to every kid now when there's an instrument that they want to play but i really need to fill a gap somewhere else um, thousands of saxophones but actually we need someone on the trumpet um, so, I, so I've used that ever since but um, I got given the trumpet now the reason that music became important to me is because um, I was as I've mentioned before that I was I was I was creative I was good at art and doodling and drawing and that kind of stuff and puppets um, but um, my grandma um, was was blind um, for my entire life that I knew she wasn't when she was uh, when she was younger and so she couldn't really appreciate um, many of those things I could draw a thing say hey look at this and she'd go I can't see um, so I um, oh yeah I that. it's I I thought learning a musical instrument she could this could be a thing that I could do and I could play I could play the trumpeter I mean if you'd heard me in the first few weeks you wouldn't have wanted to hear it but uh, that was that was the plan and on the 1st of July, 1992, my grandma passed away and she never really got to hear me play. And so it stuck with me um, for many, many years that I was, I was, by the way, I was awful. I was, I didn't know, a, as they quote in The Music Man, I didn't know a bass drum from a pipe organ. I couldn't tell the difference between the two. The musician I've become today is purely through JLGB. I had no clue couldn't play the piano couldn't play anything it didn't have music didn't have music lessons at base that's for sure um and so this thing became really important to me in terms of i couldn't play to her so i play in honor of her and very shortly afterwards with a trumpet the tr great thing about the trumpet is that as well as as well as playing in the band it was called upon to be used at remembrance services and before i knew it 14 15 years old i got asked to play it it's funny v, the first thing i ever played at was vj day um, 1995. So you only had VJ Day uh, a couple of days ago. So what about 25 years ago? Is it more? Well, I don't know. Someone says 13. But I don't want to know. I can see you all adding it up. I have no idea. It doesn't matter. Um, and that was my first um, 
encounter with the with the with the leaders of Ajax. Ajax I knew very well because my uh, grandfather marched every year. But I got to know a variety of people, and uh, Jerry Bean over Sholem and others were huge mentors to me. And through that, and there's many others than Jerry, but they did the same thing. We would go to different remembrance services and, and play last post. And there was something about when you when you got a a group of people that you had ex-service men and women and Remembrance Sunday or, or Ajax Parade, et cetera, or numerous things around the country and later around the world, that there's a huge sense of responsibility to play it right. The first time, and, and there's many people, uh, again, in, in, in the bands that will know, the first time they ever play, it's always awful. And you need to have that one time where it goes horribly wrong to learn how to get it better. But I, I with the second time I played, I think it was at Woodside Park Shore from a Remembrance event, I, I got it spot on and it echoed around the room, et cetera. And people came up to me and they were crying. And it goes back to what I said before about creating a, making people happy or an emotion. I realized that to those ex-servicemen and women, the last post and was a symbolistic point before the minute silence where they could remember and that bugle call would chime a memory with people about the people they'd lost, bearing in mind that the standards of Ajax and the, and the things we do are not about the, just the people that survived, it's the many people that didn't come back and they remember their comrades, etc. At that moment, you've got a duty to play your heart out and to milk it for as much as you can, not because you're trying to perform, but because you know you want to get an emotion there, because that's what they want. And I've, I've done that on and off Remembrance Sunday, uh, minus the last two years or so, for a variety of reasons, um, every, every year. And then through that, and working with Ajax and, and uh, an organization I love deeply, um, I was asked to go on a trip. To, I went on March of the Living, in fact. We had Scott Saunders on a couple of weeks ago. I went on March of the Living, 20 years ago when nobody went on March in the UK, walked around with a rucksack with my trumpet on and played the last post in Auschwitz in, uh, in, um, in the Warsaw ghetto, etc., and numerous other places, etc. And, it, and it's been a proud privilege to, to do that. We took a band to Bergen-Belsen as well, um, 10 years ago, I think it was. So music has been um, a great thing in that sense, but also teaching kids in the band and, and Debbie's, your mother, is watching, and she'll know that uh, when she had Hannah, your older sister, she said, you just take over for a couple of weeks, and uh, I'll be back. And, uh, you know, 18, 19, 20 years later, she's still, she's still, so I'm hoping next Monday or after coronavirus, it's, it's your turn to, to, to come back. But it's uh, teaching kids music and passing that on, and again, a tangible skill, and, and knowing what I got out of it, and knowing what it means to me, um, is why I still do it now. Thank you so much, Abby and Debbie. Um, our next question is going to come from Samuel. Hi, Samuel. You're muted, Samuel. Oh. There you go. So, hi. Uh, so you've been the chair of Yom HaShoah UK for many, many years. So what was it like to run this year's ceremony remotely and virtually? And why was it so important to you to not just postpone it? Thank you. The, um, I, I find it slightly ridiculous with all these things that I chair Yom HaShoah UK. I go back to the fact that I'm a kid from Ilford Jewish Primary School chairing the UK's Jewish response to Holocaust remembrance. What went wrong in our community that I got that job? And the answer is Yom HaShoah became a forgotten thing on the calendar. Holocaust and Remembrance Day, rightly so, remembers externally. Numerous things happen along the way. Um, and for some reason, it wasn't being remembered the way it could be. And what happened was, when I came back from 
Auschwitz with, on the Ajax and Yad Vashem trip. And I got to know a whole load of people through the Jack Weiser and Sir Ben Helfgott and Jeffrey Pinnock and others that have been tremendous supporters of mine over the years and, and, and looked after me. Um, I helped them turn it into something like I did with JLGB uh, to make it more modern. And then Jeffrey asked me to take over his chair several years ago. And then we've organized a series of events, including the one with Sadiq Khan a few years ago. We were all ready this year to have 10,000 people at Barnet Stadium. Of course, coronavirus hit. Um, but again, a bit like virtual and connected to virtual, just because you couldn't do the actual event didn't mean you couldn't capitalize on what was happening to bring the community together. It's a very strange, it's a very, very strange thing to say. I've said to others, and I, and I, and I have to phrase this carefully for want of accidentally offending anybody. But in April, a country in lockdown, the Jewish community all over the place, everyone all over the place, etc. through the remembrance of, of Yom HaShoah, we brought the Jewish community together with the Maccabi yellow candle, with thousands of people watching online. We'd, we thought we'd had no idea the response we would get, and we're very grateful to uh, the Prince of Wales for agreeing to do, a, to do a video message as well, and numerous people that, that did messages, etc., and the support from everyone that we had across the community, that it captured a moment. There was never a thought, ever, there was never ever a thought of postponing um, the event, even if it had to be done virtually. And fortunately, a bit like Jerry Virtual, there was a series of things that fell into place that meant we could do it in a really, in a really good way um, and that would capture the imagination. And really proudly, and with the help of many kids from primary schools as well, we did the Never Again song virtually with 100 kids in it. And it's had over, um, I think it's nearly uh, three quarters of a million views on, on Facebook, etc. to remind, because it's really important that this year is the 75th anniversary. So why not postpone it? You can't get back this anniversary. The survivors and refugees of our community have given so much that, uh, to us in the same way that ex-servicemen have. They were stuck at home in isolation. They needed to know that we would remember, even under difficult circumstances. And so I thought this would be a slightly more regular year. I thought that uh, 2020 would be quite normal. I just had Barnaby with Ginny as a son. I thought I'd maybe take it a little bit easier this year and suddenly never worked harder in my life but proudly so and again a bit like with last post and reached that we managed to use yomashoa to to strike a chord with people to to know that even in the darkest hour we can light we can give hope through through the survival of what the survivors and refugees went through which is far worse than what we're going through now even though hundreds of thousands of people around the world have, have, have died through this terrible terrible um disease we know that historically people have triumphed over adversity, and to you, that's why we couldn't postpone it. That, it had to be a, a call to everyone to say, we can do this, and actually, no matter the circumstances, we'll always remember. Yeah, that is very important. Thank you. Pleasure, and well done to you too. Thank you. Thanks, Samuel. Um, so many people want to ask a question tonight, rightly so. Um, so we have loads more left to go. So I'm going to jump straight that's, on over. That's the cue. That's the cue we use when a, when a speaker's talking too long. So <laughs> what, you're, what you're saying is, can you hurry up with your answers? Because Ellie, yeah. Ellie, Ellie wants okay. to finish by ten past nine. I know. I know. I can. I can see the WhatsApp message. I can't see. I've, my phone's off. I know nothing about this, but I know what's going on. You've been prodded. <laughs> You've dinner's in the oven, and she wants to. Uh, yeah, she wants to watch Lower Decks on Netflix or something. And so, uh, can we hurry up? Sure. <laughs> Great, great answers though. Um, we're going to go to Gaia. 
Hi, Gaia. Hiya. So, um, my question's a few, but um, tonight's obviously the 75th um, episode of jail to be Virtual, which is really exciting. And the show was set up within five days of lockdown. So how did you manage to achieve that so quickly? And have you managed to get such an incredible array of guests on the show each night? And which was your favourite? Oh, that's going to be... Uh... I'm just going to offend everyone if I answer that, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> we'll give it a go. Um, no one was prepared for this pandemic. Robert Winston said it when he was on here, Professor Winston. Daniel Carmel Brown said it for Jewish Care. We've done a tremendous job, um, as of many charities in our community, to, 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 to beat and, and to ensure that the safety of everyone in our community. But I do feel as the JLGB has prepared me and many others so that one day there'll be, a, there'll be a time when JLGB will be called upon and we must be ready. 125 years of our history have said, come the day, come the hour, we will be there. And I'm, I've grown up with stories, and you'll all know it, and it's been talked about by Henry and Paul Anticone of World Jewish Relief uh, and others. You'll know the story of the Kitchener camp. But the, the, the JLGB part of that is very much uncredited, that when... Uh, when, when German uh, Jews were fleeing Nazi Germany before the Holocaust started, um, that uh, Ernest Joseph, who was part of both JLGB and World Jewish Relief and others, got the license to bring people across. And a camp was set up with my pre-predecessor, uh, Jonas May, so the role I had in JLGB, but in the, in the late 30s. And basically they ran a camp, fully-fledged camp for for years and, and saved four or five thousand refugees now i'm not comparing this to anything there but we grew up with stories of when come the day come the hour will be prepared so i always wondered and always thought and, and you know through cst and others you think about disaster recovery planning and what would happen if etc i've always had in my mind and growing up with ajax and everything else what would happen if and that kind of, and so in my brain i was always ready for and i love the major incident planning that we do on camps that Adam does and Ben does and other things just kind of, you know, Stefan to uh, think about that we're ready for everything in that sense. We're absolutely not ready for coronavirus and what's happened. But equally, with my digital background and others, and we saw this coming for several weeks in advance, I said to Adam Shelley, who's listening now and, and, and uh, the greatest JGB uh, volunteer of, of, of our generation and, and, and works his heart out every single day and has done for the last five months as well, uh, along with Gabby and Georgia and others, um, I said to him in March, early March, lockdown is coming. We need to be ready for X, Y, and Z. And if we plan this bit right, we will be ready to run. And this is what I want to do. This, 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 and this. The, 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 the basic concept of virtual, I could see it, as I said before, visualizing my head in that sense. And I think Adam said, well, we've we got a couple of weeks to go. And literally three or four days later, the announcement came the 16th of March. If you don't need to go out, don't go out. And I remember setting my office. Everyone's looking around. What are you going to do, et cetera? And I knew the plan. It was in my head, I needed time to process it. And then over the next few days, launched this thing with support of the entire office who've been absolutely phenomenal. We've worked day and night to get this thing ready, but we were ready. The JLGB as an organization was ready for this next step, was ready to do a variety of things. And we launched on that first Monday. And with the help of people like Sasha as, as Magic and a variety of other people in terms of the programming and Josh Diamond and others that have uh, helped plan the program each night with everyone else as well. And by the way, I'm going to forget throughout this interview to name somebody whoever you are now I apologize because I'm going to get letters later I'm trying to think of everyone as I go along but um, we've been planning it every we've been planning it for weeks and weeks and weeks to get ready for that kind of stuff and I then thought to myself 
who do I know that's, that, we, that, that we supported JRGB before? And ultimately, when lockdown was called, after our first, we had Ashley James in the first week and Marsha Gladstone, um, who, and, 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 and Richard and, and Justin for the Jewish News, who, who might help us? And then it dawned on me that no one can leave the house. If you tell me you can't help, you're probably lying. And if I can get through to you and say, we well, give us half an hour, in many cases, they weren't doing anything, although what they would normally do was in turmoil and providing that because there are some people in, in entertainment industry that have been really affected because they're not, they're not, they haven't done as well that they, they've not lost their gigs and things. So many people that this is not, this is not a, a great time for, but there are a variety of people that can afford to, to give half an hour time to support young people. And in their droves, they said yes. And the support of Lord Levy as well for our, for our high profile, um, uh, political guests and other community foundation people and, and, and uh, ambassadors, etc. Um, and Craig David, of course, that, uh, through, through Lord Levy and, and, and the support of Colin Lester. Um, everyone, has, everyone has said yes. And then we had this genius idea, and I forget how we did it, where we added in the who would you like to nominate question. And that led on to some absolutely phenomenal guests, Tanny Gray-Thompson, Rupert Graves, etc. and numerous people that we wouldn't have in a million years done. In terms of my favourite Yes, I must just say my favorite part of virtual is acts of kindness. It is at the heart of what we do. So the guests are wonderful, the skills are wonderful, uh, our funders are wonderful. It's kept, it's put us on the map in terms of that we've kept going, we've flown the flag, we've had amazing emails from people all over the country that are watching it every night, etc., which is, which is great. Acts of kindness and with Georgie and others that have done that every night, and Tyre and Levy has been the, the epicenter of why we do what we do. Um, but in terms of my favourite guest, um, I think it has to be Jeff Garland, Abby's interview with Jeff Garland. I think that just uh, was, was hilarious and, and, just, and just really kind of, you know, unlike me, which is a bit more serious talking about stuff, was just really a light-hearted look at life and enjoyable in that sense. And uh, uh, Ethan's question was, was just amazing. So I just, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, so it's just been a roller coaster ride. And, and along the way, everyone, volunteers, staff, trustees, everybody's come together to make this work in the perfect alignment and it's just been something to be really really proud of and all of you that are in the zoom now that have been involved in this should know that this little show is being seen by loads of people hundreds of thousands of people we've been talking about everywhere and it's pr i'm proud to be a ceo of an organization that has saved the day and done its bit for young people and families people that have been stuck at home adult volunteers as well that have found a purpose because they need something to to, to latch on to, to give them a sense of how can I help? And of course, really, really quickly, knowing that I'm being rushed by Sydney, um, we are, as a volunteering organization, like many others, JVN included, we've been grounded. Normally we'd go out and help the community. Normally we'd go out and, you know, even hand out leaflets, be a steward, direct, etc. volunteer through the DOV, Johnny Jason Award, et cetera, and go out and do stuff and be the people that says, you need some young people to help solve this problem, we're here. None of us have the most important thing of this pandemic in JOD is to keep young people safe. So we, we, young people haven't been able to go out and be that part of that mobilization. That, that day is coming, by the way, and JOD will be at the forefront of how helping as we can. And we'll be very much looking forward to evolving what Ricky's going to do with that in the days and months ahead. But this response was to help young people stuck at home have a real sense of routine, learn skills, continue to count their awards. And I, I, I couldn't be prouder of all of you and our young hosts that you're watching tonight. Um, and Guy are included, our, uh, our Leeds representative. And that's been the other great thing, be it Guy in Birmingham, you know, this has been national and everyone's been equal. And it's been great to bring everyone together. Thank you, Gaia.
Um, we're going to jump straight over to Josh. Hi, Josh. Hi, Neil. Hi. Sorry, muting problems again. Um, so you've you've spoken previously about the mentoring you received from our president, Lord Levy. How, um, and actually you, especially with sort of securing um, interesting interviewees for this, how crucial is he to JLGB's success? And what would you say is the best lesson you've learned from him? So to just talk about Lord Levy in terms of he found us some guests for virtual would be the world's biggest understatement of a man that has turned JLGB's dreams into, into reality. I say that in the sense of, in those practical ways, and to us, having Craig David was a pinnacle of years of support that we've had from him. I, I, Daniel Carmel Brown talked about it uh, from Jewish Care, Richard Kramer from Sense, etc. Here's a man who did not have to take on the presidency of JLGB. He'd done enough, full stop, in the community, Jewish Care, UJA. Uh, volunteering matters of CSV, etc. Here's a man, uh, when Norman approached him, I think 13 years ago now, maybe, um, did not have to say yes to doing this job. But he saw something in JLGB and thought, I'm going to help. And from that moment on, uh, he said it himself, he's either on or he's not. He's helped in every way, shape or form. And it's not about just finding funding. His strategic brain is unbelievable the support he gives the trustees myself the team the encouragement when we when we do have any issues to help guide us through etc simply phenomenal and we couldn't do it without him now i said before i'm a creative person i have a lot of ideas but ideas without foundation ideas without funding ideas without a community support to, to back you in that sense is nothing i went into places prior to Lord Levy being president, and the door would be closed. I talked about JLGB being kind of, you know, a forgotten organization. Lord Levy came in as president, and before I even walked through the corridor, the door was open. Hello, Neil, how are you? I've heard so much about you. I don't know why, but he has mentored me, he has guided me, and again, he hasn't had to, etc. He's treating me like a, um, a son or a grandson, depending on uh, which way you want to look at it, etc. And, as, and as, as helped guide me in every way, shape or form, and to see him proud and to see something go well, like the Craig David event or virtual, and to be happy with what we're doing is a great feeling, is a great feeling. And, and, and he and Jeff Shear and others that have supported us along the way have made everything we do, and with, with and, and Norman, if, if I'm sure Norman is listening, uh, would agree entirely that he has, he has helped turn the wild-eyed ideas of a young boy who's uh, wet behind the ears, as uh, you told me many times, to turn this organization to what it deserves to be. He called it the Cinderella organization and he's taken us to the ball and back again. And we ain't seen nothing yet. And I, I live and long and pray that he will do this for as many years as we can convince him to. And I hope he will do that because we are, we are showing him that we are worthy of that support. And he sees, by the way, in all of you, the future. And JLGB is not an organization for one particular group of people. 
you're all over the country you're from all different social mobility backgrounds all different abilities children with with special needs children with different abilities children with different family circumstances children that are going to succeed in one sense or another university not university everybody jlg is a place where you can come along go on that journey and be who you want to be and he sees that um and he's doing everything we can for our future to make it happen i couldn't be prouder of him to be our president Thank you. Thank you. So back to me for a couple of questions then. Sure. Um, anyone that knows you will always say that you are both remarkably creative and also have an amazing ability to stay calm when under pressure. You've been mentored by lots of people in JLGB, Lord Levy, who we've just heard about, Jerry Bean, Albert Greenback, Charles Kay, Norman Levinson, to name a few. But how have these people inspired you and what's your secret to keeping calm under pressure? So I should say that the, the, the late Alan Greenback would, would find that hilarious because Alan Greenback used to keep a book of people that would, would uh, call him Alan Green Splat, Alan Greenback, etc., Albert Greenback, etc. So I find that I find he would he would be enjoying that now wherever he is upstairs um, somewhere um, thinking about JOGB. But he he as a youth leader. Uh, previous um, trustee of NICFIS, National Council of Voluntary Services, and his citation on his OBE was for young people in interfaith services, which is exactly the same citation that I have on mine. He was a great mentor. Lord Levy, in, 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 in my years as CEO, has been unbelievable. Norman Terrett deserves huge credit behind the scenes for being even more idealistic and dreaming than I am. I have to sometimes bring him down in terms of how we're going to turn this into a thing, etc. He has been phenomenal as of all the trustees herself his wife edna another person that without her tremendous work over the years of jlgb i must mention the late howard harris in that sense you know when i was 16 and i i had an argument with my parents when i was 16 and i used to, and i and i went to camper down to help out and i helped out ian dunn and the late ian levin and i know linda's watching there are tremendous people in jlgb of all ages that that support everybody ian with the quartermastering etc Richard Weber, Howard Harris, so many people internally of our age and older that have supported us in a whole variety of ways and externally, um, so many people as well, far too many to name and I'll forget people in, the, in that sense. But I, I have been, and, and Ajax as well, I've been blessed to, to have been supported. And I, and I feel like a bit of a bridge between the old and the new. So I've been downloaded with the memories of people that are sadly no longer with us to understand what the purpose was of JLGB in its entirety through Charles K and others, what the, the legends of Ajax, et cetera, and others. And I now, and, and a connection with the young generation to try and find that bridge where we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, find the future and find that perfect synergy of making an organization that we're proud of and where we've come from, but is relevant for the future. And I've been pushed by these people along the way. Mentoring, I should say, is not just a case of this is how you do it challenging people actually say that's fine neil but how are you going to do it where's the tuckless do it already etc and uh through lord leave it to others etc they've not only guided me but but inspired and pushed me to actually move this organization forward and i'm i'm very very lucky um so in 2017 then after all of this you received your oba at buckingham palace from prince charles what was the ceremony like? How did you and your family feel when you heard that you were awarded an OBE? Uh, it is, it is, and remains ridiculous. Um, 
in every way, shape or form. I, I mean, maybe through talking through this evening, people get an idea of what I actually do and what I'm trying to achieve, but you don't, it doesn't happen in that order of stuff. And I'm very proud for numerous things we've done. But as I, I and as you said before, I think um, I saw Prince Charles three times that week in a whole variety of things. And if there was more time, I'd tell you about those, those amusing stories. But and I'd been in that throne room literally four days before for the band to play. And then five, four days later, I'm in the same room again. And it felt completely different. I was in total awe. And I have to tell you that my parents saw what sprang to mind in that sense. I talk a lot about my mum and she matches in, et cetera. I, my dad, um, up until very recently, was a, was a nighttime black cab taxi driver for about 50 years. He grew up as the youngest son of seven in the East End, in a, in, a, in a house that had seven people in it with two rooms, etc. Total and utter poverty beyond my beyond my comprehension. And many that, that grew up then, however bad it was then, his family had it. You know, it was it was on the on the you know the the, the, the real welfare and support end of stuff, and the support of people like Norwood and others. He somehow did the knowledge and a variety of things, and there'd be many traditions of Jewish black cab drivers doing that kind of stuff. And every night six nights a week went out and was a taxi driver because of that i get to dream think about what i want to do make choices in my life help other people and work and as hard as i ever work we'll never we'll never have to make the sacrifices he and others of that generation made in that sense so i'm very fortunate to be on the shoulders of them and my grandparents etc and others um and of course, my mother as well, who's very community minded, that's where I get that side of it as well. And my grandmother was empathetic in that, in that kind of way and listening skills, etc. Everything about it was about validation for them that, they, you know, that uh, I always say that my, my dad was disappointed because he wanted me to be Dr. Martin, like the shoes. Um, so no, he's still not quite enough for them. But I, it was all about and the many people that said, why are you doing this role? And is it worth it? It was validation in the sense of JLGB was on the map. This wasn't about me. This was a signal award to all those volunteers and 125 years or whatever it was then of people to know this organization was back on the map and being recognized. And it was all about them. But there was a real sense of pride for the generations of my family that, uh, that had been through what they'd been through to allow me to, to basically muck around all day and, and create a youth organization and have fun and, and, and make, you know, make people happy. Um, so that's how, that's, that's the most thing that came out of the area. And still to this day in terms of, you know, using it, it has no advantages, by the way, it may be, maybe a couple of celebrities have answered a DM because they saw their William Shatner, uh, commented on a tweet the other day. So you never know. Um, so maybe it has some kind of unnecessary quirk in that sense, but otherwise it has no real benefit. But what it does is remind me of what a great organization it has and the, and the, and, the, and what it's given me to do that. But ultimately it's about my family and making them proud. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. We're going to go back to some more audience questions now. So the first one is from Sydney. Hi. Hi. I'm, not from, uh, I'm not from Love Island, I'm afraid. Is that, is that a disappointing <laughs> guest to have? Um, so you are also involved in numerous interfaith projects. For that, as the chair of the Interfaith uh, Youth Class Board through Judge B, Awards winning mixed faith national system service that you've fought so hard to run. Why do you believe that it's important for the Jewish community and wider society to take part in the interfaith work? Um, I, 
I am not in any way, shape or form political, never have been, etc. As I say, my, my leadership skills comes from 1980s cartoons and not from uh, particular streams or spectrums of religiosity or isms in that sense. Um, and when I grew up in Gants Hill, my next door neighbours was a Muslim family uh, and they had my brother and I in our house and they had, they had three, uh, two sons and a, and, and a daughter. And we grew up with, with best friends and, and uh, sometimes the fence we took away and we'd share the garden, that kind of stuff. I grew up in a world where there was no differences in that sense. I went to a Jewish school by day and here were our great friends that we'd do roller skating with and that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until many years later and things happened and, and, the, and the, the horrible association of things like 9-11 with an entire Muslim community unfairly that, and other things that happen in conflicts in the Middle East and around the world that made a difference between us and them. And I never quite understood it. And I also felt that really, really proud, really proud of the work we do with our Jewish schools, with DOV, et cetera. But our young Jewish children aren't getting as much chance to interact with others. And if you don't interact with others, then other people won't meet young Jewish people. And is there a way in a kosher and Sabbath friendly way, Shabbat friendly, I can say Shabbat here because I'm not talking to uh, civil servants, uh, in a Shabbat friendly way, um, that we can trust that our community can, can continue and be who it wants to be, but we can also be a light to the nations as well. Or as our objects say, be a credit to our country and our community in, in, that, in that kind of way. And when National Citizen Service came along, it felt like the perfect opportunity. Um, I am a huge advocate of the program. I publicly, people know that I campaigned because it wasn't as um, the barriers to participate as a faith a person of a Jewish community, Muslim faith wasn't, wasn't as accessible as I'd like it to be. And we fought hard with the help of the, the board and of the chief rabbi and others to, to unlock that. And then we won two national charity awards. But ultimately, if we teach our young people about their commonalities, if they try and solve the world problems together in their local community to help kids with mental health, to support the elderly, to look at a variety of challenges in a society by working together, surely the world will be a better place. And if they do that as well, then they'll have the acceptance, not just the tolerance to say, I may have a different faith to you, but I am your friend and, I, and, I, and these are the things we have in common and we can respectfully disagree on other things as well. I don't see enough of that. And, and also with NCS, it was the first residential thing where young people would go away together for three weeks. So it was the first, that's why it was so groundbreaking in that sense. But ultimately, um, as our community dwindles in numbers and as, and as we're being attacked more and more just for our existence has been the case in recent weeks, the more I feel our community needs to be out and about as ambassadors, helping wider society through volunteering and doing that with others. And that's, that's, that's my passion for it and to make, again, millions of people happy. Thank you, Sydney. Our next question is going to come from Emma. Hi, Emma. Hi. Hi. Um, so youth social action is at the heart of JLGB and the Evolve, youth, um, the Evolve Youth Volunteering and Skills Initiative, that was your brainchild. I loved receiving my Evolve Award at the epic celebration event with Craig David last year. So can you tell us a bit more about Evolve, how it started and why you think it's so important for young people to get involved with volunteering? Sure. So that that's... Uh... That, there's so many parts of that, which is the, the history of Evolve, that if I, if I gave you the full answer to that, I really would be told off by, uh, by Sydney. So let, let me focus on the things that I think are important for, for everyone who is watching to understand. First and foremost, every young person should have the right and ability to volunteer. And our charities in our community and wider society do not take young people's volunteering seriously enough. 
the the skills and abilities and outside of the pandemic world we're living in now the digital knowledge you have the enthusiasm the time you have the passion you have on causes that are even further in terms of climate change and supporting those with mental health and the elderly, etc go away and beyond where they have done in previous situations and a real need to want to help in that sense yet our charities for a variety of reasons sometimes it's capacity because they'd love them to be involved they haven't got the, haven't got the wherewithal the support to do that have not taken young volunteers seriously they're just uh, they're just doing their dv and ticking a box or the only jesna award etc and we know that it's it's more than that and we and uh, that was that was at the heart of it to a certain extent but very 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 quickly let me just say one thing evolve is a collective impact project what does that mean it means if everyone's working to a similar outcome we stand a chance of achieving it in that sense so if if our mission is to make young people really um, support the beneficiaries of our community that are in need and i don't just mean supporting charities but making a change of those beneficiaries etc so there are less homeless people less lonely people less people that need support in a variety of ways not just to tick hours etc if we want to achieve that then if our schools if our parents if our charities if our synagogues if our youth groups if our businesses work together in a similar kind of way then we might stand a chance of that alignment happening and being achieved and what evolve essentially is is the digital understanding of that if you take i'm trying to think of what i've got here i can use this pen here we go if you take this pen as a person if you know this person their age where they live what school they go to their synagogue etc and you track the person not the organization you can suddenly see the impact this person is having around the world and it's not any more about whether this is where the community's changed about people going and people don't just go to the same place anymore they, they're multifaceted they've made their own a la carte menu of choosing what they want to do across youth movement society etc if you can track the person digitally of all the good deeds they do then you can track two people from the same school and see the collective impact of one classroom you can see the impact they've made there you can see the whole all the impact that young people made on mitzvah day all the impact they made for jewish care all the impact made for that particular school that scenario etc it's not just about collecting the hours it's also then saying well finding out what the need is and if you know the skills of that person this person really into coding and also likes gardening and this charity has a need you can match them in a much more um collective way where whether the, the chance of that person wanting to do it is higher retaining them is higher and so evolve is trying to really the, obviously there's the journey of the awards from the yoni jesna award up to ncs and dv in between that that's the age progressive thing that from the age of eight with the new chief of us award all the way up to 25 um there's something to do but ultimately if we get this right there's a, there's two thousand young jewish people involved in evolve in it's not easy to say is it enrolled in evolve each year if everybody completed their awards over the next three years it would be four hundred and fifty thousand hours given to society if charities can help unlock that if teachers can prioritize that and i say that tentatively knowing that teachers and others have got enough to worry about at the moment in the current crisis but in the overarching outcome view if everyone works together to that sense then the workforce of young people to make a difference inside our community there should never be a jewish charity that is short of volunteers and i hope that with with jvn with mitzvah day numerous other organizations we can work together for that dream in harmony to actually achieve that where every synagogue every school every charity buys into this ultimate outcome of that young people are our future and investing in them through volunteering will not only help our future but guarantee your 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 charity the next generation of fundraisers trustees and supporters um 
that's what Evolve's all about. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Emma. We are going to head on now over to Joel for his question. Hello, Joel. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Um, can you believe that over 10,000 young people have now taken part in Kosher DOV? Did you take part in DOV? And what would you say to the, to the benefits of people watching now? Are the benefits of taking part in the award? I, I still have on my CV that I'm taking part in my gold DOV. I'm, uh, I think, 25 years too old now to do it, maybe. But uh, I did my silver DOV. And legendary, I am not built for sport or fitness and that kind of stuff. Um, just about blowing the trumpet was the exercise I got on, on most weeks. There are photos of my rucksack full of cola pop bottles and bars of chocolate. I was struggling. I was miles behind the rest of the group. And the reason was I was carrying four stone of supplies with me so I could eat Mars bars and things all along the way. I am, I am the world's worst hiker. But DOV is the most amazing award. And it's not just about the expedition. It's about all the sections, etc. And since 1962, we've been, since, since the second pilot in the first year, we've been running the DOV for the Jewish community. And when I inherited my role in JLGB and looked at what DOV was doing and the advent of more and more Jewish schools and we were running DOV and JFS for 30 plus years and then along came Yavna and JCOS and numerous people um, and we did, for our outreach program we were running DOV you know in a lot of these schools prior to that as well and Hasmo and Beishamai back then uh, bless it um, we weren't getting as many people through it as possible and I said if we are going to be the licensed body for this award then we need to take this seriously and we can scale it up and why every Jewish child deserves the right to take part in the Duke of Edinburgh's award if we can remove the barriers. And I have to say, thanks to the support of the Pears Foundation over the last 10 years or so, we've scaled this thing up massively. There's nearly a thousand kids a year doing the DOV. Obviously right now, they can't do it in every way. They can't do the expedition. Obviously they can do skills and volunteering through Jedi Virtual. Um, the expedition is proving somewhat complicated at the moment, but it's one of my proudest achievements to be able to help young people take part in something um, with Dan and the DOV team, 21 expeditions every summer, etc. Barry Heger, I should mention, who uh, hopefully is on Zoom now, 87 I think he is, has helped on the first gold DOV expedition all the way back in, 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 in 1960-something um, and has helped every way through and still doing it now. This is, this is one of the great tools that JHB has and Kurt Hahn who created the DOV with the Duke of Edinburgh who was Jewish many many years ago talk about mind body soul and that kind of stuff if you watch the crown you can see all about it in that sense but it's it is the perfect character building award to and it so supplements and complements the work of JLGB and it's something I'm really really proud of. Thanks Joel um, we are now going to move swiftly into our five very last quick questions. Oh wow. You're being, so, told off. You're being told off, aren't you? You wanted me to do this, you know, don't cut me short. You won't. Um, our next question is going to come from Guy. Oh, no, I'm worried now. This is the one who does all the political questions and has, has interviewed uh, Gerald and others. Be, be a muted guy. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, Neil. Yeah. This is a very political question. Okay. So, I know that it's also been a question that's kind of occurred quite often uh, in our interviews of special guests. And so my question is, 
what is your favorite musical that's the hard hitting one isn't it it's uh well it's actually very simple i actually mentioned it before and it's a musical that none of you will know except to say that post lockdown hugh jackman is reviving it on broadway and that is the music man meredith wilson's a music man with robert preston who embodies that guy who comes into the town and says i want to start this marching brass band and he has no clue what he's doing he's a complete charlatan etc and he teaches the kids of river city iowa how to uh, how to form this band and by the end of it when he gets caught out he has to stay and he helps he helps make it all happen i feel just as much as a fraud as him i love the music through that you know uh, i even went to gary indiana when i was in chicago just to go there for two seconds this will mean nothing to all of you etc but to me it's uh, like the glenn miller story with uh, james stewart where i watched that and had to go out and get a trombone and teach myself to play that etc there's something about that film which is and, and like mr holland's opus as well the same about that film that i kind of it feels like something to aspire to in that in that sense and uh, that sense of showmanship and there's you know there's no one greater than robert preston in that sense in the music etc so none of you have seen it it's probably not even on amazon or netflix it's so out of date but it is um by far and and oh, except i should say that emily diamond when they say number 76 on bingo and they say 76 trombones that's where it comes from, the music man. So you made me feel really old that day when, uh, when I don't get it, what's 76 trombones? And uh, there she is, um, 76 trombones led the big parade. So yes, that's, uh, that's my favorite musical by far. Thank you, Guy. Um, we're going to go to Izzy now for our final audience question. Hi. Hi, Izzy. Hi. Um, so my question is, you became a father last year with Baby Barnaby, yes. named after your grandfather who was in Jilgeby turning one during lockdown. How have you found juggling work with fatherhood and were there extra ex expectations on you to be a good dad? Um, so, first of all, yes, Barnaby named of my grandfather. I mentioned my grandma before who was a tremendous passive influence on me, a kind, empathetic soul. My, but many people know my grandfather or wouldn't know my grandfather because he was a warrant officer in JLGB in the 50s and 60s. And if your parents were in it and learned to box, he was the famous boxing instructor. So he was the complete opposite of me in that sense. And he, he was a legendary, you know, in, in the amateur boxing champion in the war and that kind of stuff, etc. And a real great spirit and character that uh, many people know. And Simone from Reverie Silver also helped with you, Izzy, as well at Redbridge. Um, her grandfather and my grandfather I was in Oxford St George's and that were a great friend and so to name my son after him um was was was, was a tremendous connection and, and and great as well and also uh Ginny's um uh, uncle great uncle I think was also a Barnaby in that sense um so when when you run a youth organization you're expected to know how to look after kids and I think I think I'm a pretty good coach and mentor with teenagers I think I'm good at inspiring people, uh, putting out, uh, there's so many hosts here that I'm so proud of who are, uh, should I do this or not do this, inspire work on the question. I think I'm pretty good at saying you can do this, you can believe in it and that kind of stuff. I have no idea what to do with a one-year-old baby. It is, it is, it, many of you who have done babysitting. When I'm this, I'm this um, you know, the first baby I held in my life, in my life was Joshua Diamond. Um, so I, I, uh, I have no, skills in that department i'm learning along the way i have to say 
I have tremendous credit and understand tremendous empathy and understanding now for what mums do. Ginny is the most amazing mum. She puts up with me and she's been brilliant. She's, 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 she was born to be a mum in that sense. I'm so proud of what she does. And, and in truth be told, and I can say this and many people know that, but I have, I have two loves. I have my family and I have the JOGB family and they're often in conflict with one another. And often at the, at the detriment of my own family, I put this organization first and we achieve what we achieve here and I'm so proud of it. And I'm, it's, it's been great to have Barnaby on. Many of you have been in the Zoom rehearsals and things we've done. Barnaby's on my knee and that kind of stuff. It's great to be at home in that sense. But I have given all the staff at JOGB the week off next week because we have, in this crisis, been working our socks off. And that doesn't mean that our own staff haven't got their own family issues, people in isolation, people to look after, all kinds of other things and anxieties. And they've, 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 they've got their way through it. And, and I, I'm not complaining because I've got the best job in the world, but I intend next week to switch my phone off, ignore all of you and, and try and have a great week with my family. Thank you. Thanks, Izzy. Good to see you. Thank you, Izzy. Um, just before I head on with the final three questions, I am just going to head over to Adam Shelley. If it's any to be football, um, post Ian Rush and Jan Mulby of Liverpool, I'll stop following it. You've answered the question, Neil, so we can finish now and move back to Sydney. Um, it was just this, this great opportunity. We, th this has been in, in terrible circumstances of a pandemic. We, we've spoken every day for the last five months. And what we produce, I always said to you that I thought Evolve and Craig David was, you know, one of the best days, if not the best day for JLGB, and it could never be beaten. But I think what we've done for young people and the well-being of, of leaders over the last five months, led by you um, and your team and all the volunteers and absolutely everybody involved, involved. On behalf of all the trustees, the volunteers and everybody, thank you so much for driving us forward in, in tremendously difficult times. But what an incredible, incredible achievement that, that we'll look, up, look back on and just see what, what we produce. And, you know, 75 evenings on virtual of people working together, hundreds of young leaders, you know, leaders that have been around longer. It's, it's the most incredible achievement. And the feedback we've had from everybody just, just says it all. And on behalf of all of us, thank you for everything you've done for us. No, thank you, Adam, and thank you to everyone involved. It's, uh, I might have an idea, but there's about 40 of you in this Zoom who have been involved almost every day. So uh, you make it happen. Thank you. Back Thanks, to Sydney. Thank you, Adam. So as we enter year 126 of JLGB and on the back of the success of virtual and the short and the long-term impacts of the coronavirus, what are the future plans of JLGB? So we've never not met for this long in 125 years. Um, we closed during the war. Others, others who were there may tell me how long we were closed for on certain summer camps. But we haven't not run a summer camp since since then. We've we've had a we've had a clean run of it, etc. Um, and so this is this is unusual territory. And we're working hard now with the National Youth Agency advice and Youth United to find a safe way to return, 
hopefully on October, the week of October the 12th, please God, which is the first Monday after Yontif. Um, but of course, the way that the second wave and things are happening, that may not be possible. We're doing all we can to do that, etc. Um, but lockdown has, has, has stopped the merry-go-round. Every, every, every day we work really hard prior to lockdown, dealing with the day-to-day -day stuff, and we're never able to plan for the future. Virtual has taken up a huge amount of time, but we compartmentalize it in a certain way so we can leave time for planning and not waste this opportunity to plan for the future. We've been building many things for months in advance of that prior to that. And I remember talking with Jamie. Jamie's an, I know Jamie would be here if he wasn't on holiday. You're, you're a partner in crime. And you know that he interviewed the great Mervyn Kirsch, the VJ Day veteran. And you interviewed uh, Lord Levy and Guy interviewed Mark Regev, etc. And Abby, um, um, Jeff Guy and others. You have shown all of us what JLGB can be. We have struggled, as many uniform youth organizations do, to find that balance between being an adult-led organization and a youth-led organization and how to do that right. And we have struggled with the stigma of what might be seen as the old guard of the Jewish Lads and Girls Brigade and the modern JLGB and to find that balance. You have shown us and Virtual have shown us and all the young people that have been involved and all the volunteers and Gabby, George and Adam, how this has allowed us to focus and do stuff, stuff really, really well. And we cannot, we must not, return to face-to-face -to -face activities in the way we did it prior. Whatever that may well be, whoever disagrees, doesn't agree, oh, it's not my JLGB, etc. I don't agree with that, and I'll tell you why in a second. We must not wait. We can, we've got to go forward. And virtual has shown us, and to my certain extent, I, I kind of knew this already, but has shown everyone else. All of you here have seen what, I've, what I saw in my brain JLGB could be. You now believe in, and not only believe that you've done it, it's not about me. You've done that kind of stuff. And the volunteers, the professional staff and others, we're living a reality now. How dare we go back to how we were previously for all the work that you've put in? We must not and we cannot do that. We have to move forward and be relevant for the next generation. And we have to be proud of our past and we have to be proud of our heritage. And we need to make sure there's a connection with what we do and that connection of responsibility, reward, re recognition, family, progression, community, uh, all kinds of things need to, are the heart of what we do. But we need to now, as we've had thousands of people watch EV evening, metamorphosize into the organization we deserve to be and have deserved to be for many years. Now, some people that have been in it since it was the Jewish Lads Brigade may struggle with what that means in the same way they struggle to watch Doctor Who now versus what it was in the 1960s. It's not the same thing. I understand that entirely. But for your sake, for Barnaby's sake, for Chloe and Brandon's sake, for numerous, the next generation of people, what organization do they need? And they've seen this and their parents have seen this. And so when we go back in October, we're going to be a very different organization in many ways. But in some senses, exactly the same as we've been for 125 years. We, you know, the Albert Goldsmith's ability or, or message to say we want to create the next generation of leaders who we empower to reach their potential and in exchange for that give back to their community could not be more true now than it is today, but we must do it in a way that our young people need, our community need, our country need, and the next generation of adult volunteers will be inspired to support as well. So there'll be people watching this that go, how are we gonna do that? Where's it gonna be? Lots of plans are coming, but see what we've done over the last 75 shows. See what our young people have shown. See how our volunteers have 
delivered amazing stuff. See, our, our professionals have worked night and day in harmony and in alignment. Our trustees and Lord leave it at the forefront. All together, we've never been ready for where we are now. And the moment it's safe, we need to return with programs and activities that are fit for purpose and will take us into our next 125 years. I mean, I know I am, and so I'm sure that everybody else is as well. So excited to see all of this come into action as soon as we're lucky enough to go back to face-to-face -face contact. These are still unprecedented times though, and the physical and mental health and economic impacts may affect us all for some kind of time to come. But do you have hope for the future? And what positives do you think are going to come out of this strange time? You have to have hope for the future. And my mantras have never changed of making people happy and lighting our darkest hour. For us, this is it. We've not experienced what others have. And what gives me hope for the future? I've answered it several times. You, Sydney, and Abby, and Jamie, and other Sydney, and Joel, and everyone else I've just forgotten. So apologies that have hosted along the way. Uh, Josh Cohen, didn't even know who Josh Cohen was. 75 shows ago what an amazing young man he is numerous people love how you 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 are what our community needs right now and when it's safe to do so we'll mobilize physically as well to support the community and this is not i think this is going to get worse before it gets better so we may not hit that october return date we may not return till january i spoiler alert if you use a bit of risk assessment stuff winter camp doesn't look very likely not not my fault by the way sorry amy and others but the reality is that this is looking like it's going to go worse before it gets better and we'll keep doing this we'll do this every thursday for the foreseeable and if we can't open up we'll do it every day like we have done until we can return and i've i've got hope for all that we can be society will need us and we need the next generation of people whatever this new normal looks like I want to make sure the next generation is ready for it and to own it, lead it and smash it. And Sydney, you and others have shown me that that is not only possible. We talk about making the leaders of tomorrow. We've made the leaders of today for today, and we must therefore bring you to the fore right now. Thank you. So finally, as you know very well, we always ask our guests to nominate and ask another celebrity or community leader to be a future guest of our programme and to help entertain all the children and young people stuck at home. So if you've enjoyed tonight's experience, and I very much hope you have, who would you like to nominate? It's a bit like when I say to Lord Levy, could we ask X? And he gives me a look to say, I've done enough. People, people cross the virtual street now when they see if I add them on Twitter. They know what I'm going to ask. So I am working on a few people. I asked Hacker the Dog today if he'd be on it because um, lots of people love him. Um, and he's obviously a puppet as well. Um, I'm working a variety of people. We're hopeful that the Mayor of London will join us in a few weeks' time as well. We've got the uh, CEO of the National Lottery coming on as well, which, by the way, she's the CEO of the lottery that gives out the money not the one that picks the numbers because that's why everyone asked me because we know she's not going to give us that week's numbers she's going to tell us about causes etc um the if those are watching netflix somebody feed phil then i think phil's coming on as well um if you don't know that he also wrote everyone loves raymond um so that we're working on a variety of things but and ruth green i think is watching as well she had a great idea what we want you to do is tell us who you want and we will work on a campaign and across, you know, if we bombard enough people in the right way, and I'm looking at all the people I can see here in this group now, 
that if we are, if, you know, if, if Emma and Adam and, and Lewis and Shirley and Steph and Nigel and Hillary and Linda and Gordon, Estelle and Simone and Adam and Josh and others, who we can see on here, have got their cameras on, Louis and Alex Mincer, who's been tremendous, by the way, Yolanda and Ben and Ellie and Danny and Greg and Ben and Norman and everyone else I can see here. Uh, if I read them all out, Ellie really will tell me off. But if all of us combine efforts and we find out a way, there's not a single person. I would love to get the Prince of Wales on here. That's probably a big ask, but we deserve the only the best. You deserve only the best. And that's what this is about. You know, I'm looking at the people here. I can see generations of faces on Zoom. I've had it on a single view till now. I can now see everybody. So I wasn't off put by the home crowd and see all the booing and the, and the people throwing fruit at the screen. Um, this organization is as good as all of us working together. So the answer is who's next and who do I nominate? Whoever we want and we'll get them. Sounds great. So thank you, Neil, for joining us this evening and inspiring all of us. We have really loved getting to know you and your motivations better and hearing what's in store for GRGB in the future. Personally, I am so excited for the changes that you spoke about and I'm looking forward to being part of the new GRGB that engages and supports many more Jewish people over and hopefully the next 125 years. We are truly, truly inspired by everything you have achieved and we hope one day positively impact thousands of young people the way that you have. Good luck with everything that comes next and on behalf of all of us at Judge B, I'd like to wish you a very, very happy birthday for Saturday. <laughs> Stay safe, take care and I really hope to see you again soon. Brilliant job, Sydney. Thank you to everybody that's watching. Thank you to all those who have supported along the way, our funders, our trustees, our leaders, our volunteers. If I've forgotten somebody, I'm looking at Rory. Hi, Rory. Um, if I've forgotten anybody, I apologize. Um, message me afterwards and I'll tell you how brilliant you are and why I love you. So, and to Ginny and Barnaby, I, uh, I'm gonna log off very shortly and not switch on again till, uh, till after Bank Holiday Monday. So thank you, everybody. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Neil. So that's it. This wraps up Virtual JLGB's Summer Extravaganza. Thank you so much for listening to JLGB Virtual, we are live. Take care of yourselves and stay safe and we shall see you again soon.